0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And, uh, the prophet, um, this prophet is well known uh, from studying scriptures. He, uh, was, he acted with great justice on behalf of God. His great concern were for people who were impoverished and poor and had no voice in his time, in his community. And uh, people were exploiting uh, the poor. So uh, he was their champion, if you will, on behalf of God. He spoke out. Uh, against this he spoke out to the kings or the governments of his time about their behavior uh, and their culpability in the matter and um, my friends uh, he was also concerned for those who um, uh, what they were doing is that they were fixing the scales and stuff so that it, they made greater profit than they should have and particularly on the poor and uh, uh, he points out he said you wait for the sabbath to be over so you can go back to your foolishness that's my words uh, what would that be like today well, Father, when we're done here at Mass at 1230, hurry up so I can get back to my nonsense out there. God forbid any of you disciples should leave Mass and go into the parking lot gossiping or going back to some kind of tomfoolery, right? When St. Paul is addressing Timothy, and I believe Timothy is in Ephesus at this time. And Paul's saying, I want you and your community to pray for everybody. What was the problem of the time? What was the challenge? They felt they didn't have to pray for people who were pagans. As a matter of fact, they felt they shouldn't get any prayers whatsoever. Or those who are not followers of the way. Remember, followers of the way is what we call Christians today. Paul's saying, no, no. Christ wants you to pray for them. That's why he said pray for everybody. Everybody. And don't do so with anger in your house. So when you're praying, Lord Jesus, uh, for those pagans over there, smash them to pieces. <laughs> no, that is, not, that is not a holy prayer. That's an awful prayer. Uh, and uh, you will come underneath the judgment of that umbrella. So don't do that. Um, he said, pray for uh, the conversion, because he, God wants everyone to be saved. So do this. In particular, if you remember from the reading, he said, and for the kings and all the people in authority. Translate that to 2022. For presidents and all the senators and representatives. Pray for them. Don't do so with hatred in your heart. Pray for them. So we pray for all the elected officials that they come to their senses and that they work for the people. Uh, Remember that they work for the people, but to do so with integrity and not to have duplicity. This is part of what's running through the, the themes of all the readings is this, this double standard or this duplicity. So my friend, St. Paul, uh, very wise uh, that he asks, And we do this. We do this at Mass. In particular, Paul is talking about in their, their time, their liturgy, to make sure we do that. We have the prayers of the faithful where we offer prayers for everyone. And uh, the Mass is always offered for someone. And uh, so my friends, um, when it comes to the gospel, um, some context needs to be put forth for you so that you understand it better. The word mammon uh, that Jesus uses is in Aramaic. Aramaic is the language of Jesus when he walked on the earth. Uh, And it loosely has to do with idolatry. So it's something that uh, people were worshiping. And mammon was the name of a Syrian god. The people of Jesus' time knew this. So Jesus is being very deliberate about the word, so they understood. It was the idol, the golden calf. And remember in the Exodus, they took all their gold. Gold is neutral. But they melted it, and they formed it into a calf and decided they want nothing to do with God anymore, and they're going to worship this calf. And they named the calf Mammon. And the Hebrews, uh, this is what they did. You'll find it in Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 32. So Jesus is using it to put forth a teaching for his followers about idols, false idols, and in this case, money that becomes this, and Christians seem confused about what the Bible has put forth about money and wealth. It has been said that the Bible condemns money as the root of all evil, but that is not what the Bible says. It actually says something different. You will find it in 1 Timothy 6.10. I always back up what I'm telling you with the scriptures. St. Paul says, the love of money is the root of all evils. That's different. In context, St. Paul is counseling Timothy on how to deal with the wealthier members of his own community, so those who have. Christians are not to lord it over others or to use it uh, in terrible ways, and they must not become captivated by it or in love with it uh, to the point that their heart is moved only by it, leaving no room for Christ. Paul tells Timothy that some people in their desire for money have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains and suffering because of it, 1 Timothy 6.10. My friends, as I kind of alluded to about gold, money itself is neutral. It's just a commodity. It's just a medium that we use to conduct business with, to pay for goods, to pay for services. Money can be good or bad depending on how you acquire it what you do with it, and even more importantly, what does it do to you? You hear stories all the time of people who win the lottery and it changes their life. Not for the better, for the worse, because they haven't learned how to deal with that type of wealth. For example, uh, here's an example, because people want me to be more practical. So here's an example, the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan had money, and he used the money to help a stranger. We hear the story of Lazarus, who was a, he had leprosy and was sick, and out, he stayed outside the gates of the king. And the king did nothing. With all of his power and wealth, he did nothing for him. The gospel does not condemn money, nor does it condemn the rich or those who have wealth. But it warns those who have it to be careful because it has the ability, if you're not careful, to captivate and enslave the human heart. Money is a very serious matter. The love of money, the coveting of money, the great desiring of it or the craving for it is the problem. That is what Jesus meant by mammon. And many folks have clearly made money mammon in our times. It has compromised people in the secular world. It has compromised people within our church. It has clouded the instincts of many nations who seek it at all costs. It is a very old idol, still wandering the streets of our world in search of new worshipers, and it found many worshipers now. Christ gave us principles for which we should understand uh, how to handle it, and many other things in our life, for that matter. He told us, trust in God's providence and to seek the kingdom above everything else. If we do this, all the other things in life, including money, will be in its proper place with you. I believe a key statement of Jesus is found from Matthew's Gospel, 6.33. Jesus said, seek first you, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you besides he didn't say on Monday that it will be given to you. Some of us are still waiting. But we wait with joy <laughs> for all these other things, right? Regarding the dishonest steward, the parable that Jesus used, I'm going to quote you something that comes from the Catholic Study Bible regarding this parable that will help you to understand what Jesus is doing. Because I still get people going, well, why is Jesus commending someone who's a thief? And I'm like, that's not what he's doing. So here's... A direct quote from the notations within the Catholic Study Bible. The parable of the dishonest steward, which you heard today, has to be understood in the light of the Palestinian custom of agents acting on behalf of their masters, working for their bosses. And the usurious practices, commission, common to such employees. The dishonesty of the steward consisted in the squandering of his master's property, meaning he mismanaged things. Whatever it was, he gave things away, he didn't keep a good accounting, whatever it was, uh, he wasn't being a good employee. And it was not in any way subsequent to the graph, meaning uh, when his boss caught him and said, come before me, I need an accounting. It wasn't uh, what that boss is about to do is to commend him for something else. The master commends this employee who has foregone his own commissions on the business transactions by having... The debtors write new bills reflecting only the real amount owed and not the commission. Think of a used car salesman. The car is 50000 The used car gets 10000 of that. So instead, the car salesman says, you know, forget my commission. <laughs> oh, amen. Hallelujah, brother. I'll pray for you if that happened today. But you see what he's doing. He's getting rid of his commission and saying, here's the price that you owe my, write it. He's doing this because he wants a place to live because he's going to be fired. So he's looking for help. The dishonest steward acts in a way in order to ingratiate himself with his master's debtors because he knows he is going to be fired and he's looking for help. The parable then teaches the prudent use of one's own abilities. So uh, our Lord did not praise the dishonesty or the duplicity or even the deception. Rather, Jesus praises this employee for his ability to apprise the situation. He thought about the situation he was in. He uses his acuity, uses all of his thinking to come up with a solution. And when he makes a solution, he does not move away from it. He goes after it. And Jesus says, the people of darkness, is what he meant, the people of this time do this always. But the children of light, he's talking about, do not act in such a way. So my friends, if the followers possess the same kind of discipline and dedication, not dishonesty, and determination to the service of the kingdom of God, Jesus suggests that the disciples would be able to do greater things for God. Jesus' followers should put into same practice the type, time, effort, and determination to their spiritual well-being as the dishonest steward in the parable did for his physical Welfare. Jesus used the example of his employee in the parable because it was relevant in his time, and it still is relevant in our time. Perhaps other images. People said, Father, can you give us other examples? All right. Um, here's, here's my best. You have a child, and your child becomes ill. The parents will immediately move to the ER department, right? And you should. You take your child there and you spare. Whatever, you speed, you break the, you go through, you know, everything, red lights, nothing, you go. And when you get there, it's going to cost, a bit. I don't care what it costs, my child. All the passion, all the determination, everything. But yet, let's put it in a different way. If that same child was endangering their spiritual life because of the places they visit on the internet, or the movies they're watching, or the music they listen to with its messages, Or the particular video games that they're playing, often parents are slow to take decisive action in the same way. Like, you are not getting on the internet anymore. And you're not playing those games with those people because it's not good for you. They don't say that. My friends, here's one that's closer to the heart maybe. Your TV stops working. You can't live without your TV, so off to Costco you go. <laughs> lest your kids drive you crazy because they don't have a TV. And heaven forbid you should miss the football game, right? You see the determination you have. Not only that, you check for sales everywhere. Which, who has the best part? You see the determination and the drive being used. But if your spiritual life is slipping and sliding and straying, how often do you show the same type of Precision, the same type of dedication to moving away from what that is. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, this is is what the master was praising. This guy used such ingenuity. He said, children of the light should be doing the same thing. No, not dishonesty, but they should be using the same drive and determination about the kingdom and about their spiritual life. Tomorrow is not promised to you on earth. That is not what Jesus promised. What he promised was eternal life. And he said, You should be working towards that. friends, more frequently, the people in our church, meaning Christians, have greater concern over material things and nonsensical matters than about their spiritual welfare. They're more concerned about financial bankruptcy, and they don't seem to care that much about spiritual bankruptcy. That's eternity. The parable bids us to take care of the spiritual side of life. It calls for the same, if not more, ingenuity and drive, planning and effort in your spiritual life, if you do with all the other pieces of your life. Our Lord and our soul are more important than all these other things. And it's better for you to come to that determination now than in a crisis. Because then in the crisis, you are not really thinking carefully but if you've been doing this all along, so as disciples uh, of Jesus Christ, in the sense of stewardship in the Catholic Church, everything you have is gift from God. Everything. All your talents. Every... Well, Father, I work really hard. Yes, and God gave you the abilities to work hard. That's why it's gift from Him. And He would say, Use all these things to the glory of God. Let your whole life, thing you say and do in your work and your play, give glory to God and draw people to the Lord. That's how it makes it easier for you to be a good disciple. This is what Jesus is getting at. Make everything work for his greater glory. And then you don't have to worry about the time when he comes. And guess what? You're going home. I'm taking you home with me. Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Get going doing it now.